Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. We are talking about identity. Identity. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the most common questions that I think people ask themselves when wrestling with their personal identity is the question, how did I get here? How did I get here? Um, it's, it's, it's funny, we, you know, we live this, this life and, uh, you, you know, we grow up, we have childhoods, we have parents, we have, we have all of these wonderful memories of, of, of people's love for us, our investment, experiences that we've had that are transformative. And yet there's somehow, some way, uh, we can often find ourselves in a moment of crisis where we look back and we say to ourselves, how in the heck did I get where I'm at right now? And for a lot of you in this room, that means, man, plugged into ministry, getting discipled, being in Bible study, having these friends in this place right now, talking about, you know, uh, what God is doing. About, how did I get right here? And, um, and I think sometimes that's, that's those questions, like, they can produce in us doubt. Like, uh, did you ever do th- those? This was popular in the early 90s, okay? So I don't know if this is actually still a thing. Uh, but the whole, the whole uh, Choose Your Own Adventure books, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, shout out to the Choose Your Now they have on Netflix, they have, I don't know if you see this in the kids portion. You don't visit the kids portion of Netflix. I do. I like live there. They have shows that are Choose Your Own Adventure. Do you know this? Where you can like, it's like a story will happen, it'll unfold, and then there'll suddenly be a question. Should you go in the cave or should you swim through the pond or whatever? And my kids are like debating and yelling. And they have like five seconds to decide. And then they pick one. And then the story goes that direction. <laughs> Spoiled brats. <laughs> they got all the good stuff. Uh, but I think sometimes we get to a point in our life and we realize, oh, uh, what if I would have chosen that other way? And then we start pining for what could have been. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes in these moments of identity crisis, we, we look at our current life right now and we say, am I content with what I've devoted myself to? Maybe it's my career, my, my, my friend group. And we look at our circumstances, we look at our bank account, we're crying out loud, and we say to ourselves, man, is this really what I want? You know, we, we get in our car, we drive to Tuesday night prayer, we're tired after work, we go to Bible study, we ask ourselves, is this really this is really what I want in my life right now? Those are hard questions. Those are questions of identity. Now we say to ourselves, well, where am I going? What the heck? Where is this path going to take me? What do the decisions in my life look like as I move forward? And where am I going to end up? And all of these questions, all of these questions can either serve to, to, to drive us towards Christ or drive us away from him. See, when we can't get resolution or peace as it concerns these questions, then we're prone to run away, which people do, or we reinvent ourselves. We reinvent, you know, we live in a world where our personal identity is fluid, it's negotiable. 
That's the world that we live in. And society is telling you if there's something that you don't like about you, you can just become whatever you want. You can become the opposite gender. You can take on a new career. You can, trans- you can transform yourself. You can be a kitten if you want. I mean, y'all, do y'all know that in cl- like elementary school classrooms, teachers are entertaining children who are convinced that they're kittens? It's amazing how far you can fall, how fast you can fall. But this is the society that we live in. And so even if that seems extreme, even if that seems strange, it's not in our current age, right? We, we find it somewhat humorous, but that's the world we live in. Even if it's not that extreme, listen, so many of us are convinced that if I don't like something about my life, I just quit. I just quit it. And I just do something different. We have no resolve. We're not bold. We're not confident. We're not trusting of the Lord. We're not faithful. And so what we do is we just, we quit, we run away, and we reinvent our life. And I've seen it. Listen to me, y'all. I've seen that happen over and over and over again in this ministry. I'm tired of seeing it. It hurts. It's grievous. It's grievous to watch people struggle this way. But, you know, the, the grass is always greener on the other side. You know, if I just had a husband, it doesn't matter where I find him, if it's on the, at the bar or on Tinder, it doesn't matter where I find him. I just, I'm not finding it here, so I've got to go find him. Got to go find my husband. Got to go find my wife. And so, you know, I'll just reinvent myself. I know I've spent the last three or four years here plugging in and building these relationships, but, but you know, I, this thing I want, I've got to have. My identity is reliant on whether or not I get what I want. And so we just, you know, life is fluid that way. I mean, we've all watched parents divorce for this very reason. Our society is riddled with divorce. And the reason is people think that they can just, well, I, I fell out of love. I just qu- I'll just quit this. And then I'll go find something that satisfies me. I'll go find love again. And what you're speaking about is that's not love, that's lust. But that's what I'm talking about. That's the world, that's how transactionary our reality has become. We're desensitized, we're shut off, and we're always looking for what pleases us, and we get lost there. And if we don't answer these questions the right way, we're in big trouble. And so we're gonna talk about how to answer these questions. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for your word, um, I, uh, I know that where we're at in, in your word, that there's, there are words here that we need. Now, the question is whether or not we're going to listen. Um, we have the option even right now to just uh, shut you out and run away. And so, God, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts, to our minds, and that you would insist um, because of the riches of your mercy, insist upon us that we hear you and that we obey you. So God, be with us and challenge us and help us to see where our true identity is. In Christ's name, amen. Let's begin by reading. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, 
among whom also we all had our conversation in time, times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are, uh, ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. So let's start here in verse 1 and let's try to understand what is being said because this kind of goes, like Ephesians is like this. It's a little bit abstract and kind of goes all over the place. And so we want to really break it down to better understand what's being said. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Every person in this room is a stinking sinner. Okay, you're a sinner. You sin. You commit sin. You do dastardly deeds all the time. Done dirt cheat. Right? For my classic rock guys. All right? Now, that's who we are. And the Bible declares it very clearly to us. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. For that, all have sinned. Every person is a sinner because you inherited a sin nature from your greatest grandfather, Adam. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and they pass that curse on, that image on, to every person after them. You're a sinner. And because of your sin, you deserve death. You deserve death. You, you, and in, fact, in fact, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's what it says here. Trespasses means error, okay? Error or deviation from the truth or, or from holiness, and you had deviated. You have deviated from the path. You've committed sin against a holy God. And just like Adam and just like your parents before you, and just like all of humanity that's ever existed, you were doomed to the same fate, and that was death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of your sin, what you've earned in your bad behavior, right, is death. Is death because God, if he is all holy, will not permit unholiness or darkness in his presence. And so, so in terms of, of, of judgment and, and justice, it is required that you die. That's rough news for you today. I mean, I'm, I'm not starting on the highest note, but this is what the passage is talking about. You were walking around in this world like a person who was on death row. Have you ever, have you ever watched these, like, death row documentaries? Yes. No? No one's? Oh. So you're, you're, I forgot, you're busy watching, like, the, the Hallmark Lifetime Christmas movies. <laughs> And that's what you devote all year long. You're just listening to like, and watching good, wholesome, no, you're not into that? Okay, I watch stuff like death row documentaries, okay? That's the, that's the pastor that you have, I'm sorry. That's the one that you have. I like that stuff. It's interesting to me, all right? Um, 
Have you ever noticed, though, that guys that are on death row, how much time and energy they devote to learning the law, right? Um, and so they study and they study. They go to the library and they're studying they're saying, because they're looking for loopholes in, the, in the, the justice system. They're looking for a way out. They're looking for uh, some area of the law that they can exploit in order to escape the judgment that's coming. I mean, they get so good at it, it's like they become lawyers. I mean, they could, have pro- they could probably pass the bar. That's how good some of these guys get. They got a, a decade in, in the library. And, you know, sometimes it works. But I want to let you know that for the sinner in God's judicious system, there are no loopholes. People that sin, which is every one of us, deserve death. But God, God is just, but he's also loving. And so he sent his son, you know? He sent his son as an arbiter, a sacrificial mediator who was willing to give his life for yours. He took it. He took the death that you deserved. And by him, the hopelessness of your sin became the hopefulness of salvation. John 14, 6, as Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. In other words, Jesus Christ is the only way in order to have your sins forgiven. He is the only way to find life. He is the only way to the Father. And when we discover that, hope enters in, and everything changes. Everything changes. The day that you put your faith in Christ You were set free. You were made alive. You were quickened, is what it says. The passage says quickened. You know, um, this word quicken is a weird word. We don't often use it, but it it means the the, the part that's alive. to, To be quickened is to be made alive. And he quickened you, and he took what was dead, and he made it living. He gave you life again. You were on death row, but he set you free. And your whole life changed because of the precious gift of Jesus Christ. Everything changed. But my question for you is this. Do you remember? I mean, do you really remember? Do you really remember what you were delivered from? Or have you forgotten? How often do you visit the grave of your sin? How how often do you go visit the tombstone dedicated to the death of you? And remember exactly what it was that you were delivered from. How often do you thank your Redeemer for delivering you from what could have been Do you, do you, I mean, how often do you daydream and think to yourself, well, if I didn't receive Christ, 
I, was, I would probably be over here doing this. And do you ever use your imagination or your mind's eye to think to yourself just how terrible that would have been? I, I, I'm, I'm convinced that we don't do this enough. I'm convinced that we don't do that enough, that we don't practice grieving and considering what, what, we, what we were delivered from. Listen to what our passage says in verse 2. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. Do you remember that? According to the prince of the power of the air. Now this title, prince of the power of the air, is a title for Satan. That means Satan. And the reason that he has this title is because he and his, and his devilish host exist and live within the in-between. Somewhere between the heavenly realm on the other side of the universe and the earthly realm where humans dwell. So he's the prince of the power of the air. It's the space between the two realms. And he's the prince there. And he has power there. And he had power over you in times past. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. See, there was a time in which most of you, most of you were in bondage. Some of you still are. Some of you are still lost in this reality. But there was a time in which most of you were in spiritual and physical and intellectual bondage to the prince of the power of the air. And you walked according to the course or the path that his system and his world laid before you. That's how you walked. What the world told you to watch, you watched. No one was there to tell you any different. What the world told you to say, you said. Whatever the world told you to pursue, that's what you pursued. What the world told you to consume, to smoke, to drink, what pills to pop, you did that. Whatever fleshly impulse you had, you were taught to indulge that by cunningly crafted plans, procedures, and courses that were laid before you. The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, John eight forty four says, that ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And I have to say that the world is spellbound by him. That the world is constantly consuming this toxic, this toxic poison that's wrapped in candy. And his misery and his confusion appears to us on the surface like happiness and fame and gratification and we just consume it. We consume it, we, we pursue it, we go after it. And there were so many of you so many of you, this, most of the people in this room, at some point in your life, you just dumbly followed whatever he put in front of you. And it was your destruction. It was a slow and pleasureless path to death. But you've forgotten that. 
And that's the problem. The problem is that we've forgotten. We've forgotten verse 3. It says, among whom also we all had our conversation, which means lifestyle or behavior, in times past in the lusts of our flesh. That is who we were. That's where our lifestyle was. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But the problem, the problem is that we've forgotten all of this. And our forgetfulness makes us susceptible to identity crisis. Um, I don't know, you know, uh, about you. I don't know if you grew up on 90s movies. Some of you are like... Uh, I don't know. I, I really still like, I wasn't really an 80s baby, but I really like those old cheesy 80s movies like Pretty in Pink and Breakfast Club. Even I watch them. It's like a guilty pleasure. We like to watch those movies, okay? I didn't really know about those until way later. Like Eva introduced me to that stuff. I'd never watched those movies. But if you notice about those old 80s and, and early 90s movies, that there's always like the main plot or the subplot is that somewhere along the way, uh, someone, usually a teenager, uh, gets in with the cool crowd. Right? Maybe they start dating the hot chick at school, or like uh, maybe they make the football team, or whatever it is. However, they get in with the cool crowd. And then they, they, throughout the movie, we watch as they uh, abandon the friends of their past, right? They're, pro- they're probably a nerd. They're probably in the chess club or whatever it is. Um, in fact, they, they revisited this in Stranger Things. I don't know if you guys watched that. Right? And strangely, they kind of revisited, they took this exact plot line out of those 80s movies like they did with everything for that show and just dropped it in this, right? <laughs> or what's the kid's name? The black kid. What's his name in the movie? Have you not watched Stranger Things? I'm looking at the black guy. What's his name? <laughs> you don't know? Lucas. Like, Lucas gets real cool because he makes the basketball team. And he forgot his nerdy friends that were like chasing ghosts or whatever. Sad, so sad. He figures it out in the end, right? But that's like, but that's that's like the tension in these films, right? Man, this is exactly this is exactly what we do to our Savior. See, we we all our our tendency we are we're prone to forget because we're all prone to take for granted the value of what's been done for us. Our time and our circumstances, they have a funny way of stealing away our memory, don't they? We forget. We forget. And this, is the, this is the very reason why you have a, a, you know, someone young coming up, they're, they're poor, they have nothing. And this is the story, like a, the American story over and over again. And they you know, pull up their bootstraps and, and, and get, hard, get to work hard. They establish their, become an entrepreneur. They start some sort of work and they work their way to riches and fame. You know that? You know that story, right? And then their children become absolute brats and destroy everything that they built, right? This is, like, this is the American story, right? This is our heritage. Now, the reason, the reason that they, they do that is because the, the, they were, the children were never taught to remember hard work. And where they came from. Guys, this is, this is true in the flesh of every one of us. We are, we are prone to forgetting what God has done for us. Now listen, some of you, you've gotten saved and you, you got delivered from your sin just recently. I'm looking across the crowd and I'm seeing some of you who, who've accepted Christ just within the last year or so. 
And man, you can still vividly remember the idleness and confusion and brokenness of a, of a past life, and, and you can still taste it, right? You feel it, you sense it, you know it, you know what you've been delivered from, and you're like, man, thank goodness. And you can, you can feel it, but here, just give it a few years. Just give it a few years, and you'll grow as forgetful as all of us do. I mean, so, for some of you, it's been five or six or 10 or 15 years since you came to saving knowledge in Jesus Christ, when you were delivered from your sin, when the bondage that, that, that you were trapped in, you were delivered from that, and all these years later, you think that all of this is somehow about you, and that is where the identity crisis enters in. Because your eyes have gotten off of what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross and through his resurrection. The colors have faded. The memory of your old life seems distant. It seems far away. It's, it's harder for you to appreciate your Savior the way that you should. Our failure to look backwards on what was and, and what could have been makes us vulnerable to lies, to arrogance, to confusion of every sort. So many Christians find themselves at a spiritual impasse, sullen and, and self-focused. We wonder why we don't find pleasure in the things that we used to find pleasure in, why, why we don't feel excitement about the things of God. We don't feel passionate anymore about God's word. We don't feel passionate about ministry. We don't get excited about serving and ser serving the Lord and serving others. And we get tired of going to church why do we feel that way? We, we wonder why we feel like we don't know who we are. We look around and we say to ourselves, how did I get here? But the problem with your perspective is that you've forgotten how miserable it was to be dead. You've forgotten how terrible it was to be a prisoner to your sin. And under the control and the subjugation of the prince of the power of the air, he was your captor, and you've forgotten. So here's our key point. It's a doozy. So, okay? Move quickly here. It's a long one. I'll read it to you. So you can't fully value your Christ-given identity until you grasp the gravity of what he delivered you from. You can't begin to comprehend the goodness of the identity that he's given you until you take the time. Christian, maybe you're a baby Christian and you just accepted Christ or maybe you've been at this for a while, but you can't fully value your Christ-given identity until you grasp the gravity of exactly what he's done for you. You know, like we've said from the beginning of this series, is that personal identity isn't actually our problem. We think it's our problem because it's all we talk about anymore, is identity. Everything we do is wrapped up in identity. And we think that our problem, our internal problem, our, our emotional problem, our depression, and all these things, our anxiety, is wrapped up in finding our true identity. That's where happiness lies. If I can just get into my true identity, then happiness will find me there. We're convinced of that. But that's not the real problem. And it's not the problem of our age. The problem is that our perspective is wrong. Our perspective is on self 
See, we only break the cycle of depression and shame and, and chronic aimlessness by first remembering that Christ delivered you from the brink of hell and torment. I, I, I have this strong suspicion that for most of us, we wouldn't be real concerned about not getting that good job if we just remembered that we were delivered from hell. I, I think we wouldn't get so hung up on how we feel or how we look in the mirror or how people perceive us or how successful we are or how skilled or unskilled we are, or whether or not we're married or, or unmarried or, or have any prospects, or whether or not we feel sexually gratified, entertained. I think we would forget about all of those things and put them aside if we could first begin to remember the fact that God sent his son Jesus Christ to die the death that we deserved and then deliver us from an eternity in hell that might set some of our identity problems right. But we don't do that. We don't because we're self-focused and we're busy looking for the next thing. The next thing that will gratify us. Now, once we get a healthy view of where we came from and what we were delivered from, it's worth us asking, what have we gained? What have we received in knowing Jesus Christ? How has Christ setting my feet on solid ground changed who I am? And so we've been talking about the past and our view on the past, but let's talk about our present for a moment. Verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. So let's pause right here for a second. His mercy towards us is a declaration of his passion toward us. Psalm 86.5 says, For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. That's who our God is. Psalm 86.15 says, but thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and, and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love for me. He takes such wonderful delight in us. He takes such joy in knowing us and pouring out the richness of his love upon us. Jeremiah 31.3 says, the Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. You know, I, I, I take my son, Shepherd, to school um, in Lee Summit, so we got a, a little bit of a drive out to the school that he goes to. It's about 20 minutes out there in the morning. And, uh, you know, they've got him memorizing a lot. You know, it's a Christian school, so they got him memorizing all this scripture. And, 
So it's quiet in the car a lot of time because he's just like working on memorizing things. And so, uh, you know, it was quiet for a moment. He was reading, he was doing his thing this last week. And then he stopped and looked over at me and he said, Dad, why is it that every Christian kid has John 3.16 memorized? Of all the verses in the Bible, right? Of all the verses, okay? And I told him, I said, look, John 3.16 is such a famous verse, so highly memorized. Because it so perfectly encompasses what it cost God to win our hearts. It summarizes the, the entirety of his love for us. John 3.14 says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, which is what we deserve, you know? But that's not why he came. But that the world through him might be saved. He loves us. The the riches of his mercy are toward us. That's who we are. We're his beloved. That's who we are. Verse 5 of Ephesians 2 says, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us, not just quickened us and made us alive, but quickened us together with Christ. For by grace are you saved. Romans 5.8 says, But God uh, commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that's who you are. You are the person who never deserved his love, but always received it. You never deserved his forgiveness, but he's always extended it to you. Do you know how to cherish that? Here's our key point. You can't fully value your Christ-given identity until you grasp the gift of his love. The love that you presently have. How can you really know who you are unless you know that you are currently loved beyond your own comprehension? How can you possibly, of course you're insecure. Of course you're always looking for temporal love. Of course you're convinced that sexual gratification means that someone cares about you. Of course you're deceived those ways. Because you don't recognize that you currently, that you presently have the greatest love that you could possibly imagine. So great the love that he gave his own life, he willingly laid it down for you. What man has done that for you recently? What woman has done that for you recently?
a love so great that as we speak, he's preparing a place for us. He's got you on his mind. The Bible says that that Jesus Christ is an intercessor for us with the Father. That means he stands in the gap for you constantly. That's how great his love for you is. But the dilemma of our age is that we are so restless and our appetites to be entertained are never satiated. So many of us can't even fathom what it would be like to just simply be satisfied. You can't even imagine what satisfaction, you've never experienced satisfaction. You've never experienced it. It's come in a moment. Man, this Snickers bar is real good. I feel satisfied. I bet you 20 minutes later, not satisfied. I could eat 20 Snickers bars. Like, I, I could do that. The kids brought all that candy home from Halloween. I eventually, this always happens. Eventually, I just have to take whatever's left over, right, and just throw it away. Because I'll just sit there, and like, especially late at night. I don't know if you all are old enough yet where you hit that phase where you just, at like 8.30 hits, and you just start eating like you haven't ever eaten in your entire life. (laughs) It's always the worst things for you. I only want two things late at night, chips and candy. Something seriously messed up. Because we can't be satisfied. We're always looking for something else. We don't even know what it would look like if we found it. We're always looking for opportunities to trade up. The majority of turnover in our ministry is not because people disagree on our teaching or because of some falling out with the church or or because of some gross sin that someone's experienced. That's not why people leave. The majority of people who leave our ministry do so because they're not satisfied. People are looking for more attention and more affirmation. People are looking for different styles of worship. People are looking for more complementary cultural experiences, something that's better, a better fit to their, to their proclivities, to, their, to the things that they're interested in. People are looking for romance, and they struggle to find it. They struggle to find it among the 200 single people in this room. That's nobody's fault. (laughs) People want more authority. They want more responsibility. They want more power. People want the mic more often. People get bored. They get tired. They just want to experience something different, and so they leave. They leave because the grass is greener somewhere else. So many people are dissatisfied because they're looking for satisfaction in something other than Christ. It's like, you know, I mean, I'm thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful for his love. But I also want what I want. There's got, you know, there's got to be something else besides, you know, just Jesus' love and all. There's got to be something else. So we start, we start fishing around about how to upgrade our Christian experience. We, we find small ways to satisfy our flesh while retaining the right to call ourselves Christians. Or we just, I'm just dabbling in sin. No big deal. 
No one even has to know. It's no big deal. No big deal. I can still call myself Christian. Listen, this is a tightrope walk of pleasure and spiritual resignation that is indicative of the Laodicean age. And when you've forgotten your true identity and you forget your love, the love that's available to you, this is how you dabble. I want us to consider this verse, the next verse in Ephesians 2. It says, And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Which means the spiritual reality of our situation is that Jesus Christ has given us a paradoxical spiritual state. It means that we are both here and present now, physically in our bodies, body, soul, spirit, but then, then somehow, because of the spiritual realm, currently with God and with Christ, even this moment. We're physically on earth, but we're spiritually with him in heaven at this exact same time. Colossians 2.12 says, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him, present tense, through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Colossians 3.1, If ye then be risen with Christ, present tense, Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above. Live and feel and desire according to the fact that you have, you have a, a, a present uh, 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 audience with the Son of God. That you are currently with him and reside with him and he resides with you. For you are dead. And your life is hid presently, currently, hid in Christ. He's put his spirit in you, and you are hid in him. Man, y'all. Now, this, this reality may be hard to fathom, but it's nonetheless, it's true. It's true. It's absolutely true. You might not get it. You might not be able to comprehend it. That's fine. It's true. It's true of you, who you are. So the difficulty becomes, if you are presently with Christ in the eternal realm, if you are currently, if your, your, your current reality is that you have kindred fellowship with the Son of God, the Savior of your soul, then tell me, tell me, you tell me, what else could you possibly be looking for? Where is satisfaction supposed to come from? If that doesn't satisfy you, where is it coming from? Some of you live and act and behave like like the next sexual experience is the only thing that's going to bring you any satisfaction. How does that feel 15 minutes afterwards? If being... If being the temple of the Holy Spirit and then also currently residing with Christ in the heavenly realm is not sufficient for you, I'm sorry, friends, the word of God has nothing for you. You will always have an identity problem. 
you will always struggle with who you are and what you're supposed to do with yourself. We must find our contentment in Christ. There's no hope of finding inner peace or contentment anywhere else. No hope. Now, the beauty of reminding yourself of what Christ has done for you very naturally produces hope for the future. Hope is the perspective of everyone who finds their identity in Christ. And it's not blind hope, but hope in the promises of God. Ephesians 2.7 says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. So we've talked about our past and remembering what he's delivered us from. We've talked about our present and the current love that he's extended to us. And now we're talking about our future. Just like we found in chapter one, God is extending a promise to us that in the future kingdom, beyond this temporal life, is reward for all of those who found their salvation in Jesus. And what is coming in our future are the riches of his grace. Now, the word grace, some of you know this, but, but the, the word grace means unmerited favor. That's what that means. It means that God has given you, through Christ, favor that you never earned. You couldn't earn it. You never earned it. It's a gift. And it says, it tells us that there are riches of his grace in his kindness. In his kindness towards us, his grace in the form of of eternal kindness towards those he loves. People aren't nice to me. People aren't nice. They're not nice. You're right. They're terrible. People are terrible. You discover this at age 16, the first time you drive on the highway. (laughs) Your first experience on the highway, you realize that people are terrible. Spend five minutes on Twitter and discover, look, Twitter, Twitter is where the real people are. (laughs) Not the fake, not the fake people, the real people. They are not, they are not afraid on Twitter, on X. (laughs) I'm old enough where this is going to be, it's going to take me a minute to call it X, all right? Right? X is what I used to call DMX. So that's a, that's a whole nother hurdle. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but man, people are, people are terrible. But he's kind. And he has an eternal kindness. And he can't wait for us to be with him so he can show us. He wants to show us firsthand in the ages to come, in the epics of time to come. Here's our key point. You can't fully value your Christ-given identity until you grasp the grace within your future. You can't know who you are until you know exactly what he's got waiting for you on the other side. Let's let's be honest with ourselves, though. Many of you aren't aren't moved by that. 
because it feels so far away. Heaven feels a long way away, doesn't it? I mean, not for me, but maybe for you. Wait till you're 40. I just had a conversation. Someone just said, oh, that's going to be terrible. <laughs> I literally just heard that over here in this section. That's going to be terrible. Let me tell you, my friend, it is. <laughs> Last night, um, I'm, I'm, you know, we play this game. There's this box of cards with questions in it. This is like a thing now, right? So it's like conversation starters. My kids like to do them. One of these boxes is like $400. I don't know. No, they're not really. They're like, but they're really expensive. All they're just cards with questions on them. Let me write some questions down. I don't need a box of cards to do that. That's how bad we are at communicating nowadays. So the kids get the box of cards out and they get a, and the, one of the questions had to do with something to the effect of, um, what are, you know, what are you looking forward to as you get old? That's the question Clementine got. And she's like, oh, we don't need that card. I said, what do you mean we don't need that card? And she's like, well, you're already old. So I picked her up and I threw her out the window. Heaven might feel a long way to you, a long way away for you, but uh, if you're honest, you know, there's an issue because you might say, well, what about grace for next week? You know, a grace for eternity and that, that kindness, that's great, but what about grace for next week or next month or, or next year? We want, we want unmerited favor for our schooling. And we want unmerited favor for a good job. And we want unmerited favor for a husband or a wife. And we want unmerited favor for children and money and comfort. And what we want is to dismiss the richness of his grace. And this is why we're miserable. I mean, no, no wonder we hate ourselves and our experiences. We look in the mirror and we don't like what we see. Because we're petulant children. Insisting that God's grace be given to us just the way we want it. We want grace for stuff. You know, some of us are so obsessed with grace for our temporal future that we refuse to see the grace that permeates our entire future. See, your plan for you, it ain't a good one. Like that. That's one of the first conclusions that you should draw. Your plan for you ain't that great. And it's grace that covers that. He's like, I know you're stupid. I know you like stupid stuff. So let me extend to you perpetual grace that covers past, present, and future sin that reminds you of who you really are that establishes a plan for you that you could never dream up on your own and that has waiting for you in the eternal realm kindness that you've never experienced. And we say to ourselves, well, I don't really know who I am. Listen, there's no future circumstance or, or version of you that's not touched by grace. Who cares about what tomorrow will bring? 
when you know that Jesus Christ is holding you now? I mean, let's be honest. Who cares what tomorrow holds when Christ holds you? I want to invite the worship team up. I want to ask the Christians in the room, have you forgotten where and what Christ brought you from? It's an honest question. Don't put away. Don't put away. Look, we got a couple minutes. I still got you for a couple minutes here. And so I want to ask you a, an honest question. Have you forgotten what Christ brought you from? Do you really remember? The next question would be, are you content with where he's brought you to? I mean, are you truly satisfied in this moment with where he, where he has you? Are you content in him? And then lastly, are you content with where he's taking you? Are you content with where he's taking you? Now, for the non-Christian, I mean, there's people in the room that might say, you know, Pastor, I have no surety of whether or not I even know Christ. I mean, this grace that you're talking about, the kindness, all of it sounds really good, but I've had my doubts. I'm unsure. I feel compelled. Like, I feel compelled by what you're talking about, but I just don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what would happen to me if I died. And so I want to invite you, all of you, everyone, everyone, to pray, to talk with each other, to sit with someone who brought you, to come forward. There's going to be counselors up here who want to meet with you. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, come meet him. If that's something that you want, come, come meet with someone, and, they'll invite, and they'll, uh, uh, they will introduce you to Jesus from his word. But well, there's others of you that just, there's something not right with your identity. There's something broken because you haven't been seeing yourself in these terms. Let's get our perspective changed today. Don't leave unless you're right with the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Um, Lord, thank you for this great group of people. Lord, I'm praying for salvations. I'm praying that right now that if anyone doesn't know you, uh, that they would come forward with a desire to know you, that they would say, I've got, I've got to find out what this grace is really about. I need forgiveness for my sin. You know, I, um, last night I was working with Clementine on her testimony for baptism. She wants to get baptized. And Lord, um, her words and her testimony were, I thank God that I get to be with him and that I don't have to be in hell. And that's scary thinking. <laughs> and we so often, I think we often discourage that kind of talk. But the truth is, part of the goodness of who you are is that you've delivered us from hell and torment. And so God, if there's someone in this room who simply just desires to, to figure out what it means to escape judgment. Lord, I pray that they would come forward and work through that with you because you are good and you love a repentant heart. 
and you're calling all of us and you're ready to receive us. God, help us to know, help us to know just the goodness and the kindness of your love. Lord, I pray for all the believers in this room who are plugged into ministry or getting to know ministry. They have a home in this place, a home in this church. Lord, I pray that you would help them to see that if they don't continue to source themselves in you, that their identity will get lost. They are in danger of letting their flesh rule their life. And so God, I pray that you would win their heart and their mind again, even right now, to the beauty of who you are and the goodness of your grace. Help us to remember. Lord, thank you for Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.com.